show. I'm sorry, but there's no one here right now on account of it being International Weekend. Leave us a message and we'll get back to you on our return. That's right, everybody. It's time to take a week off. That round stuff they keep kicking. It's international time and we've come warm weather podding in Dubai, where it's all kicking off. I can tell you, Matt's got put that taxi back. Jack Lang has just driven a bike through a plate glass window. Who's pedalling really hard. While Coxie's gone crazy researching how teams pick friendly opponents based on geographical proximity to future opponents. Woof. All right, then. It's a, a very warm welcome to you all as you join us here in these sunny climbs. Woof. It's good to get a break, isn't it, Michael Cox? It is, yeah. Lovely to be here. Hey, hi, and lovely to have you here with your powers of research, which we'll be looking at later on because it's fascinating. It is fascinating. Who are we going to play? The answer somehow always Costa Rica. We'll find out why later on. Jack Lang's here, and you've just come back from Mexico. Correct. Did you speak to Ronaldinho? I spoke to Ronaldinho. Yeah. How crazy was it? Crazy? No, it was quite sedate. That's such a disappointment. Did it not end in some crazed kind of six a.m. It may have done for him, but I, I was not involved. Oh. All right, we'll make something up for later. Thanks. Matt Scott's here as well. Why do teams in the Midlands go down? Mm. If you're wondering that question, Matt's got an answer for you later on. Have you, Matt? I do. Yes, I do. Now, of course, internationals very much on the agenda. And I have to say, even though they're all a bit meaningless, and especially so because the World Cup's looming, but that looming World Cup does mean that we're all hungry to see who the real runners and riders are. And I, there are some pretty exciting fixtures this weekend, aren't they, in, in terms of trying to get answers to the big questions, whatever those may be. Should I say Germany when people ask me who I think is going to win? And how about Argentina? Uh, Jack Lang, we'll, we'll talk to you about Argentina later on, but how excited are you about the, the matches coming up? There are there are a few that have probably hold our interest, I think. OK, which ones? Uh, Argentina-Italy should be a bit of fun. And that's in Manchester on Friday. In Manchester, yeah. Brazil v Germany, which is the second set of matches. That should be decent. Right. Where are they playing that one? Uh, in Berlin, I think. Michael, any games you're particularly making a note to, to, to watch out for? Uh, Spain-Argentina. Right. Because the big one is in Madrid. Yeah. That'll be next week, isn't it? What, Tuesday next week? That's on Tuesday, yeah. yeah. So Argentina with two big games. you got all sorts of other ones as well. Uh, Portugal against the Netherlands on, on Monday. Why are you all being such hipsters? Can't we talk about England, Holland and England, Italy? I mean, aren't they quite good good games as well? Aren't yeah. They? No? Know, Jack's, not, Jack's, yeah. Jack's not convinced. Not well, persuaded. Against, against countries so crap they can't even qualify for the World Cup. There is, that. Oh. there is that. There oh. is that. And of course, an England team that's struggling to score goals and won't even have Harry Kane in its, among its ranks, Matt. Hmm. What, what, did you, what did you make of Gareth's squad for this? I, I, the people were really down on it I, I think that's a good side I think that's a very good side I think if we've got if we've got the back three of, of Harry Maguire of John Stones and uh, and Eric Dyer and or one other um, then that's that's pretty solid I'm 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 hopeful that England are not going to concede very many goals I don't, and, and if you're going to win the tournament that's a good way of going about it don't let goals in Right. In knockout football. Eurosport on their warm-up page were playing a little game of how many England players would get into France's squad. And the answer was, I think, well, by their reckoning, three. One. Yeah, right, OK. Um, well, no, because they had Carl Walker got in, mm. Deli Ali, and, and Harry Kane. Kane. Yeah. But um, I think you could extend that. I mean, you talk about if you're going to win a World Cup, but although... There are some good players in the English squad. If you if you look at how you know the richness of of that squad in terms of talent compared to France, but also Germany, Spain, even Italy haven't made it. 
or any of the big European nations. I mean, Spain, I said Portugal. How many of these this England team could could make one of those other nations, Jack? I think beyond the three that you've said, I think Marcus Rashford would be in squads, I think, probably. I think... Jamie Vardy would, unquestionably. He's better than Lacazette. I think that's fair. Um... I mean, it's not a star-studded lineup by any means, and I, I Raheem think, Sterling maybe. Yeah. Yeah, on current form, certainly. Yeah. I, I take Matt's point about the defence, and I think probably the the gritty, uh, attritional stuff would probably be our best option. My my concern really is in the midfield, where there's not a great deal of creativity. Jordan Henderson and An other at the moment, and if Eric Dyer is dropping back into defence, that might mean a little bit more. Uh, forward impetus, but I don't think any of the other options, we're talking maybe uh, Lewis Cook, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, they don't stand out as really people you want to be lining up in central midfield in a World Cup, I don't think at this stage, unless you... Lalana. Lalana, yeah, yeah, but he's not a pure central midfielder, is he? No. I, th- I don't think you want to be relying on him to protect the defence. I That would be my area of weakness. I think we're OK up front. We've got three good options. And I think the back five, if it frees up... The fullbacks or the wingbacks, who I I think are probably up there with some of the best. Who would the wingbacks be? Kyle Walker on the right, and I guess Rose or Bertrand as a backup on the not left. Not Ashley Young. Not for me, but maybe in a in a more tough game against a bigger team to shut right. things down. But no, I think I I think if those players are given the freedom to attack, I think they are probably better wide attackers mm. than some of the players that have been playing wide for England in the last years. I just. My fear is that they'll be pushed so far back in a lot of games that we won't get to see that. Yeah, Young's a good squad option, isn't he? He's almost playing the James Milner role now, where he can play about four different positions, probably won't start any games, but can play anywhere. I think the thing that stands out to me about the England squad, and I'm not necessarily saying this is a barrier to success, but it's the complete lack of experience. If you take out Joe Hart, and I think Southgate might well be taking out Joe Hart from his squad, that is. The most capped players are Jordan Henderson and Danny Welbeck on 36, and you think they're, they're still players, really, who are... I'd say yet to fulfil their potential, and, and yet these are the guys that they're going to be, um, you know, teammates, new teammates are going to be looking up to as senior members of the squad. So from that perspective, I'm a little bit surprised. And the Southgate has left out Gary Cahill, who I know isn't playing for Chelsea regularly at the moment, but is a pretty solid player. Um, is a leader, I gather, has has been very good at Chelsea in the kind of post John Terry days of of being that leader, um, and also is used to playing in a back three, which uh, Southgate is going to do. So I was surprised to see his absence. I know it's not the the most sexy name, but uh, I, I would have had him in the squad, definitely. To return to your point about, you know, would they get into the France team, who for me are favourites for this World Cup. Really? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think they look spectacular on every level. Um, but I don't think it's relevant. I don't. I really don't think it's relevant. I think what what you have to have uh, at international level, and in fact at any level, is cohesion in a team. Mm. If 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 the team has a good deal of connection, what they would call in FIFA when I watch my little boys play, it's it's chemistry. I think um, if you can create that cohesion, that chemistry within the uh, within the squad, and everybody's pulling together, you've got a great team spirit. Then I don't think anything about individual qualities is relevant. And every single international team, there will be at least one weakness. You can't go out and spend £120 million, £200 million on an international player. You are you get what you're given. Hmm. And I think that you know that England team, 1-11, to 11, is looking in very good shape. I disagree with you about having a screen in front of the, 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 the defence. The defense, it pretty much takes care of itself. You've got players like Maguire and Stones and indeed Dyer who are very comfortable moving into midfield with the ball. 
So you know, that's a real positive. Jordan Henderson is is a, a ball winner that you can have in there. And I think if you've got Lalana or or Jack Wilshere, whose name hasn't been mentioned here, I don't think. You know, there is a good deal of creativity in there. You've got pace to burn with with Walker and with Sterling. And maybe if if there's room for him, a, a Lingard as well, to, you know, playing off the uh, off the striker. I, I I I'm really really impressed with this. Are you excited, aren't you, Matt? I am. I think <clears> it's a good. I think it's a good side. I think a twenty to one, really really good outside bet. Twenty to one, good outside bet. Yeah, definitely. I mean, okay. normally go into this tournament eight, eight to one, but this is the best England team we've had for thirty years. This is the best England team we've Look, had for thirty for years. For me, I think so. Yeah, the prospect of it. Yeah, okay, I really um, do. I like the shape of it. I like the solidity comment on of that. It. What do you think, Michael? Best England team for thirty years. I kind of get where Matt's coming from for this tournament. Not for me. I, I think maybe in two years' time, when uh, when they've gelled together and a few of these players are at a high level, I do think we're putting a little bit too much faith in someone like Harry Maguire, who's a good player, but he's. I mean, he's. I don't have him down as a World Cup winning. So, uh, personally, I wouldn't have him in the team. Oh, right. I love him. Um, there have been some great. It. I mean, the 2006 team was good. The 96 team was 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 cracking, no? I think this is a likable team. I right. I take that point. I think there's a lot of players here who have great potential, but the cohesion that Matt speaks about, I'm not sure that does quite exist yet. From what we've seen from Southgate, it could do. I think there's potential there, but the last four games, just a couple of goals, both of which were scored by Harry Kane. I don't really see where the understanding is going to come from with Kane missing these games and it's still too many question marks for me. You, right. can, you can you can build cohesion very, during a tournament. Look at what happened in 1990. They were in complete disarray after the first game, even two games. Uh, and then things things were changed up. They went to three at the back and it clicked. We were two missed penalties away from, from winning a, a, getting to a World Cup final. So, you know, mm. that came from, from a very low base. Well, that's the word on England then. What about their group opponents? Well, in a second or two, we'll get the word on Panama, Chief Jack, and also Belgium. Listeners, our partnership with Paddy Power helps to keep this podcast free. And speaking of free, when you join Paddy's Rewards Club, every time you place five bets of £10 or more on any sport in a single week, Paddy will give you a free £10 bet the following week. Sign up now at paddypower.com. T's and C's apply. Max £10 bonus per person per week. Specific odds required. Exclude shops and cashed out bets. 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Well, yeah, one of the exciting things about this international weekend or extended period of friendlies is that it might give us a better idea of what to expect from a Belgian group that people have been talking up for ages, but they fell short in 2014 in Brazil. And then again, the Euros two years later... Given the talent they have, though, you you have to keep them in mind for this World Cup, do you, Michael? I'm not sure. I, I think, I mean, it's obviously one of the best squads at the tournament. I think that they've got certain weaknesses. They still don't really have any fullbacks um, and are forced to play centre-backs out of position. And they've also got the issue that, you know, Roberto Martinez has, has proved over time that he can't really organise the defence. Um, and as Matt alluded to earlier, you know, you look at the, the teams who've won the World Cup the last few years, the last few editions, I should say, and almost always they keep five clean sheets out of seven games. And I'm not sure uh, that Belgium will do that, despite having probably the best centre-back combination uh, in the tournament if they play Elderworld and um, Vertonghen together. I think it'd be disastrous if they bring in company into that back line. I mean, again, what Matt said about cohesion is really important, and, and that's the one area of the pitch where you need cohesion. Um, but I don't think that will solve the, the weaknesses at fullback. We'll get a better idea about that when they play Saudi Arabia. When that's game, when, when's that game going to be? Uh, that's on Tuesday. Why would Belgium be playing Saudi Arabia 
ahead of a World Cup? Well, that's a question. Should we answer that now, Michael? Because it is fascinating. Will Hughes actually writing in with a, a question related to this? Is there any benefit for England playing Holland and Italy? Shouldn't we be playing teams who focus on defending and not attack? Uh, to practice breaking them down, teams like maybe Iceland or Man United, I'm not sure it'll be available, Will, but <laughs> I know what you're saying. Defensive position can be worked on. Breaking opponents' uh, defensive lines is very tricky. So England, I think, have picked Holland and Italy, possibly, certainly in Italy's case, before they knew the Italians weren't going to be there. Mm-hmm. But in general, quite often, Michael, I mean, you've done a lot of work on this, which you very helpfully published on your Twitter feed. Yeah. On how the nations of it, pretty much they just go for if we're facing, say, Australia, yeah, we play a friendly against New Zealand because they're neighbours, so they must be more or less the same thing. That's pretty much how it works, yeah. It's, it's like they get out a globe and just find the country and and go for their neighbours, despite the fact that they don't necessarily play the same way. I mean, I, I think it's worth pointing out there are regional variations in in football style, probably less so now than there were 20 years ago. Um, but there are some some strange ones. I mean, for example, the classic example is Belgium, England and Tunisia in a group with Panama. Right. Um, and Panama's next to Costa Rica. Yeah. So Costa Rica have got friendlies against all three of those sides <laughs> in the build-up to the World Cup. How did Panama play, Jack? Panama is it's an ageing team. It's a team that, you know, their recent results since that dramatic qualification haven't been too impressive they lost to Iran, drew against Wales. And I think it's, I've heard some quotes some read some quotes that it's kind of all down to the team spirit. I mean, it's a little bit patronising, isn't it? To say, you know, the small underdogs will be defined by their team spirit, but it's a mixture of veterans. So players who played the most minutes in qualifying, the top 10, average age is pushing 33. You know, they're looking at players like Blas Perez, who's 37. Their top scorer is 35, Luis Tejada. And... I don't think it's going to be a team It's going to push teams with a lot of energy. I think they're going to probably sit back, hope for a little bit of magic on the break, something like that. But we know they're going to be major underdogs and I think they're going to struggle. They've just pitched up in Denmark for a friendly there. And even on an organisational level, there's reports that players are arriving later than expected, later than hoped. I think they're going to probably have quite a difficult time of it if a fun time. OK. A fun time, hopefully, we'll all have. We hope so. I hope so. I mean, other examples of this uh, geographical bias, Poland, who are in a group with Japan, so they're playing South Korea in yep. this international yeah, break. Yeah, they're not the only ones there. Senegal are in that same group, so they've also lined up South Korea. Oh, OK. Um, right. And in group, uh, group B as well, you've got Portugal, Spain, Morocco and Iran. Morocco's quite close to Tunisia, so all three of those sides are playing Tunisia in the build-up to the World Cup as well. <laughs> Brazil have, have nailed it quite nicely as well. Um, they are in Group E. They're not worried about Costa Rica, and I guess that's relatively close, isn't it? So they don't have to worry. Um, but they've got to prepare for Switzerland. They're playing a friendly against Austria. Okay. Very yeah. good. And Although Liechtenstein would have been my choice in that case. Yeah, yeah that's Fiscally. true. Fiscally. Um, and also uh, the other team in that group is uh, Serbia. So they're uh-huh. playing a friendly against Croatia. Brazil haven't stopped there with the geographic thing either. They've had a, a minor injury crisis at left back, so Felipe Luiz broke a bone in his leg, and Alexandro has pulled out. So, fourth choice left back, they've picked Ismaili from Shakhtar Donetsk, who is a good player. But a lot of people in Brazil who aren't aware, who don't perhaps watch a great deal of Ukrainian football, are speculating that he's got the call just because he was in the Ukraine and they're playing their first game against Russia. So, just right. a short nip over the border. And also he'll be familiar with their players, perhaps. And the cold. Yeah, and the cold. It's also good with the Nordic sides. Uh, so, for example, uh, Australia and Peru are probably both intimidated by the uh, threat of Denmark. 
Um, and so Australia playing Norway and Peru have Sweden. You know, if you've got a similar flag, I think it's good preparation. Who's for... the Christian Eriksen from Sweden? Well, that's the thing. I think Denmark have played very much a different style of football <laughs> to, yes, to Norway. Um, but yeah, yeah, that seems to be, even in this day and age, it seems to be if, if you're next door to a country, that's good preparation. That... And of course, England are, are notorious for this. I mean, we warmed up for Trinidad and Tobago by playing Jamaica. In 2006, of course, Crouch helped himself to a hat-trick yeah. and then scored the uh, crucial opener. So in that case, clearly it worked. It worked. Practiced yeah. his ponytail pulling, as I recall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. this, is, this is purely testament to the, uh, to, the, to the efficacy of the match agents. I mean, that's, you know, they pick up the phone and go, oh, yeah, this is oh, what you so need. So how, how do these matches get sorted out? I mean, relatively succinctly, Matt. A match agent will... will Who are match agents? Fix the fixtures. Um... Well, in uh, some cases, you've got Brazil who've sold basically the rights to all yeah. their friendlies and, yeah. and use it as a massive money-making That's right. exercise rather than any kind of preparation for tournaments. Yeah, they're the Harlem Globetrotters of international football. But, but yeah, you'll get, you get match agents who are FIFA licensed who will phone up um, or have their, their contacts within FAs and they will be matchmaking for football matches at international level. Right. right. So that's why Argentina are playing Italy at the Etihad, is that right? Yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll get a licence, they'll, they'll get a venue. Because they'll get more gate that Absolutely, way? Absolutely, yeah. We, we like football in this country and we have big stadiums and they will sell it out. Right. They won't, It needs to be, you know, if they're going to be travelling, then they want to be filling it out. The but Italians sure. aren't going to be all that interested in And it. a lot of the players, of course, from Argentina are, are based in and around... Mm, that's true, yeah. Not Mendy, Aguero. Yeah, yeah. But the Italians, you know, the Italians are no, like the French. And they're, and they're going to be They're not anyway, going to be going they've got, losing. They've got England on Tuesday. We, we English in general, we, we can't get enough of events at the moment, no, can we? Right. I mean, you know, whether it's concerts or whether it's NBA games or NFL games, if you hold something in London or Manchester in this case, just guaranteed a sellout, which you just don't get in other European countries. Yeah, I was talking even, to Sam even, Quick yesterday. Even Totally Football Show <laughs> yes. podcast. Indeed. I was talking to uh, I'm a Celebrity Sam Quick yesterday, gold medalist from GB hockey team. Um, and she was saying that the Women's Hockey World Cup is a complete sellout. You know, mm. at club level, they'll get gates of 100. And then mm. this is getting 10,000 gates throughout the entire tournament for the Women's wow. Hockey World Cup, which is a sport that nobody, women's hockey, no one watches it until it becomes a World Cup. And then suddenly everyone in Britain wants to go. Mm. All right, Matt. By the way, among the many nations taking Costa Rica are, of course, Scotland this weekend. In Scotland. So you can get along to that if you want. There's a broad variety of games available. Check local listings for details. Listeners, we're going to take another little break. And then, Jack, how about you tell us all about your meeting with Ronald Gino, what happened in Mexico, and also whether big South American guns Brazil and Argentina are all that. Listeners, you know there's more to football than so-called glamour friendlies, bar controversies and 12-minute managerial meltdowns. Yes, football's fundamentally a simple game, but you can't truly understand football without understanding the modern world. And you can't understand the modern world without understanding its most popular sport. Game of Our Lives is a new podcast series hosted by the football historian David Goldblatt. It tackles themes like human nature, globalisation and geopolitics through the prism of the beautiful game, just like the Totally Football Show, sort of, and you can bet we'll be listening. The first episode focused on the cinema of the pitch with the filmmaker Werner Herzog. Well, this week the subject is Mountain of Fire and Miracles FC, one of the top teams in Nigeria with a remarkable story. It has its roots in the Pentecostal church, the fastest growing social movement in the country. Here's the church's sporting director, Godwin Enakena. You are in a church environment. You are playing for a football team. So wherever we play football, it's uh, the beauty of the game that we play. You don't find our coaches harassing 
referees. We are not known to be a team that encourages hooliganism. So these are the traits you find when you see MFM play. If you want to learn more about why football matters, make sure you listen to Game of Our Lives on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. The Game of Our Lives podcast with David Goldblatt. Subscribe now. Mountain of Fire and Miracles is a particularly splendid name. There are loads of them in Holland, aren't there? Excelsior, that's a great one. Yep, Go Ahead Eagles go is ahead one of Eagles. my favourites, yeah. Yeah. Jack, you got any? I suppose in South America they must be full of crazy names. Yes, but I'll, I will instead take you to Africa. Okay. Uh, Botswana Meat Commission. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's obviously a works team, isn't it? <laughs> that's still a good name. It is a good name. The Kaiser Chiefs. Kaiser of Chiefs. Course. Hearts of Oak is a good one. Yeah, that's another good one. That's in Ghana. Another one from Ghana, the Cape Coast Mysterious Dwarves. No. I'm not sure if that's true, but it's written. producer Ben has written this on this piece of paper. Cape Coast Mysterious Dwarves. If they don't exist, they should. Is Young that, boys is, is, is the mystery. Is the mystery the fact they're all six feet tall? They only Maybe play because they're professional footballers. They only play with seven men. There is uh, an FL fart, of course, in Norway. But, you know, because that just means speed and middle and things. Right. FC Santa Claus in Finland. There's a team called Miscellaneous, apparently, in Botswana. <laughs> is that <laughs> true? Come on. No, come on. Apparently so. Argentina Deportivo Moron. Well, yeah, that, that must be a yeah. yeah there's, equally, there must be a team in in Italy called Bastardo because there's that town called Bastardo uh, near uh, near Perugia. Anyway, fascinating names, eh, listeners? <laughs> uh, now we've got some uh, br- minor breaking news here. It's not what? breaking news. Oh yeah, Wales won up after two minutes in Ryan Giggs's first game in charge. Brilliant. Away Where are China. they playing? Against China. Not they're, very good China. Yeah, they're playing in the China Cup which is a kind of four-team tournament over these two international right. uh, races. And Gareth Bale's just scored a very good goal. Right. Yeah. China, a team that was beaten by uh, the, the Syrian war zone <laughs> in, in qualifying. They right. So I'll, I'll do it properly good. Soccer Saturday style next time. Just okay. interrupt you by saying, <laughs> what a goal, Jeff. <laughs> that's very nicely done. Thank you. Excellent. So that's uh, who are they playing, sorry? Uh, they're playing China, and they're likely to play the final against Uruguay. OK, who are Uruguay playing in there? The Czech Republic. Right, you guys. So, Jack, you just got back from Mexico. Yes. And so, tell us about meeting Ronald Jr. Uh, it was a a little. Well, jolly would be probably the, an unprofessional word to use, but it, I was following the Champions League trophy tour. Oh, nice. For a week, which was, the trophy was going around Mexico, a lot of opportunities for fans to pose with the trophy to take some photos with right former Champions League winners, of which Ronaldinho was very much the the starter and there was there was also Alessandro Del Piero okay who was nice and Fernando Morientes who cruelly got ignored most of the time kids oh. wandered over for autographs because they didn't recognize him right so what Ronaldinho they did recognize very much so yeah he was he did a little five-a-side game right. in Mexico City uh which went a bit weirdly actually because they were Obviously, everyone was gathered around to see him do his little tricks and flicks, but the people they'd put on the teams seemed very reluctant to pass to him and were instead just knocking <laughs> about among themselves, and it was very bizarre. That's disappointing as it well, was, isn't it? I think. So what's he, what's he doing at the moment? He's not signed for a Mexican club or something. Well, no. In, in fact, since I, so I spoke to him briefly, I tried to get him talking about his retirement because he only confirmed that a couple of months ago. Yeah. And I expected him to, you know, go glassy-eyed oh I, I miss football so much and I asked him if he missed it and he said no 
and he said, oh, I've got plenty to keep me busy, play foot volley on the beach with my mates, and I'm fine. But this week, so it, it, there was some rumours uh, a few months ago that he was going to throw his hat into the political ring, uh-huh. and which caused some controversy because the man whose party he was tipped to join, who's called Jair Bolsonaro, is a, a likely presidential candidate, not a very nice piece of work. That actually didn't come to anything, so it had all gone quiet. Bolsonaro joined another party, Ronaldinho didn't really do anything, but just this week he's affiliated with himself himself with a another political party. Right. No, he's never wanted to turn down a party, of course. <laughs> hey, well, the irony of it is that the party he's joined are kind of represent traditional Christian values, very evangelical, and mm. their most famous politician, one of his least popular uh, policies in the past was he tried to rein in carnival funds. Really? In Rio, yeah, he's the mayor of Rio. He's not quite as reactionary as, as Bolsonaro. This guy's called Marcelo Crivella, but he's, yeah, probably not the kind of person you would really associate Ronaldinho with. I'm, I'm not talking about style of football. I think people make a mistake when they try and associate someone's style of football with, you know, any kind of political views. Oh, Ronaldinho, he's such a stylish player. He must love you know, he must be liberal or whatever, but obviously Ronaldinho's partying lifestyle, he is someone who loves carnival, so the fact that he's joined this guy who... Doesn't love carnival. Doesn't love carnival so much is a a slight irony. Wow, that is an irony. Interesting. Jack, wanted to talk to you about Argentina and Brazil, and any other South Americans you want to throw in. Mm -hmm. Because in both cases, I mean, Argentina... People say, no, they won't be a force. Look at how they did in qualifying. But then others say, yes, they will be a force. Look at all the players they've got. But essentially, we're all guessing. Someone like you who's seen them, someone like you who knows, what's the answer, Jack? I think it's somewhere between the two. So I think I think the doom and gloom that surrounded the latter stages of their qualifying attempt has dispersed a little bit. Jorge Sampaoli is someone who I think is willing to make difficult choices to an extent that maybe his predecessors weren't. Interestingly, what, what kind of choices are we talking? Well, we're talking about leaving out... Obviously, we know all about the, the, the wealth of attacking talent, and I think, to some extent, perhaps in a similar way to Belgium, as Michael was talking about earlier, you need to basically pick the guys that you're not going to play, because otherwise, if you've got eight players competing for four spots, it creates disharmony and probably just a, a bit of confusion. So for this squad... Uh, Gonzalo Higuain is back his first call up uh, in about a year I don't think he, he only played Sampoli's first game and then hasn't played since so I think it looks like he's going to lead the line on this occasion there's no Dybala who probably was left out as a precaution because he was struggling with injury at the time of the squad announcement there's no Maru Icardi either who I think was well, only just coming back from injury as well. Yeah, but could be the what the odd man out I think uh-huh. as as things are looking because I don't think is going to play too uh, out-and-out strikers, it's looking like Higuain with, with Messi and Di Maria either side. Sampaoli is interesting because he he actually said he would rather have had some training ground time rather than play these matches. They're playing Italy and Spain to obviously very prestige games, but he would have preferred just quality time on the training ground to get those rhythms going. But I think, so while there are... The reasons for optimism are that it was a psychological victory qualifying as they did I think and I think there's to some extent the adversity of that could help them Mm. but you look at the way Sampaoli likes to play football and kind of high energy pressing and you wonder whether he's got the players to do that so 
we're looking at Federico Fazio in defence, not the quickest. We're looking at Javier Mascherano anchoring the midfield again, not now getting any younger. Yeah, and I think Rojo's not had a great season. Uh, yeah, I think Otamendi's done better. Otamendi though. is in there, and actually, he might uh, Sampaoli might play Willy Carriera in goal. Well, right, because the, the the options between the posts, neither uh, neither of them have been getting much. Experience this season, Sergio Romero at um, Man United, Man United, and, and Caballero, who's also a reserve. Yeah, sim- similar kind of uh, situations. I is, is I, this why? I mean, their last uh, the last result was a four two defeat by Nigeria, which does suggest that there are problems at the back. Yeah, that I mean, they took a two 0 lead in that one as well, and just really capitulated. And I think that was probably a quite a come down really after the way that they qualified I, I think that will have tempered expectations again they also only snuck past Russia 1-0 in the last international break which you know is a win is a win but it wasn't anything to inspire a great deal of excitement Messi has hinted that this probably will be his last World Cup um, so I think there's going to be a lot riding on it I, I don't see them as among the clear favourites but perhaps a team that can if they get their act together if San Paolo weaves, weaves a bit of magic they can have a say I think the, the history weighs against them as well because you know it's what since 1958 no South American team has ever won a World Cup in Europe. Very and true. Th- I'm just interested in in the pod's thoughts as to you know with, with Germany winning in Brazil, does that change things? Well, you know, does is, is that going to buck the trend that now we are going to see people win and prevail overseas? Yeah, personally, I think it's less of a factor. I mean. The interesting thing about the World Cup, I guess, is that it has gone to new places and, and maybe that, you know, before it always was Europe, South America, Europe, South America. You know, 94 was the first World Cup in North America, 2002, first in Asia, 2010, first in Africa. So it almost feels like that has... Well, Brazil that, won the first like, in Asia and yeah. won the first in, in North America. But Sure, but it almost feels like that psychological barrier of not playing on the same continent has gone. No, no, that's, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what do you make of their chances then... For Russia, I noticed Tim Vickery making parallels with the 2002 preparation where they'd really struggled in the build-up, gone through a series of managers, arrived at the tournament with injury worries over, I mean, two of their, their big names, Rivaldo and, and, and the, the, the original, phenomenal Ronaldo. Mm. Yeah, there are a lot of parallels being drawn. I think rather hopefully between the, the Neymar and the Ronaldo cases, not because I think Neymar is in danger of missing the tournament there was there was an update earlier this week and it, it appears his recovery is very much on schedule but he's busted a mess at half it's, it's a it's an injury it's but if everyone prays injury. in front of the television that yeah exactly mm, I, I'm, I'm really not Unsure. sure I th- I'd, I'd be surprised if he's certainly of the level that he uh, that, that he has shown in yikes years. well they do have other options up front do they, do they have other options up front not well, Neymar though there's to some extent, I think that the obviously losing your key player in the run-up to World Cup is is never going to be a good thing. But to some extent, this, I think, will force Cheech into exploring other possibilities. So he's had in mind for some time now a slight tactical variation whereby Felipe Coutinho comes from the right into the centre. William will start on the right flank. And while he may have done that with Neymar, I think Neymar's absence accelerates that thinking because he's talked about the Portuguese term is hichmista, which means it's really a, a percussionist, someone to set the tone, to know when to slow things down and speed them up. And the man who has been in that kind of role is Renato Augusto, who has played three times this year in China. 
He's looking a bit out of rhythm, and I think he's going to lose his place. So he's going to be drummed down. Very much so. Yeah. So Coutinho, I think, looks to be the man who will take on the creative responsibility in Neymar's absence. Douglas Costa probably going to start on the left to be the direct positional replacement. But I think there's there's some interesting variations at play here. Chicha has... He's a massive fan of Manchester City. He speaks to, he's spoken to Guardiola. He always refers to Manchester City in his press conferences. And Fernandinho is also in his thinking. I think it looks like Fernandinho will start against Germany on Tuesday to reinforce the midfield a little bit. And there's all, he's also just floated the possibility of Roberto Firmino starting up front alongside Gabriel Jesus in certain situations. So I think compared to past iterations of Brazil, in which there was a great dependence on Neymar... I think there will be more options this time and probably that could end up being a good thing. And I think it's telling to look back to the run-up to the 2014 World Cup. So Neymar started every single one of Luis Felipe Scolari's first 27 games in charge. The 28th, when he was injured, was the Germany game. So there'd be no plan B tested, kind of a few late cameos and substitutes and friendlies, things like that. But it was a team that was completely unprepared to play without its key player. And what happened in the Germany game? <laughs> uh, I struggle to recall, but the number seven looms large. Ah. I, th- I think those two, Argentina and Brazil, maybe it's wrong to look at them collectively because they're such big rivals. But, I but think they're next door to each other. Most well, exactly, and that's how it works. But, you know, as the two major representatives of South America, mm. I think they're in the strongest shape they've been for a good few editions. And I think with Argentina, I think there's a good case that they've got the best manager at the tournament whether he'll have enough time with the squad to get things in place. But you look at the the list of managers, these aren't managers who are used to winning things at club level. You know, they're not really managers that would be linked with major jobs once they've left. Maybe Yogi Lowe's the exception. Um, Deschamps, I think. Deschamps, maybe. But he, 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 no, he won things. With uh, Juve, uh, with, with Monaco, he did well. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not sure he'd be on the kind of... the the top rung of talents whereas I think if Sam Pauli had stayed at Sevilla I think he'd be in the in line for an Arsenal job a Chelsea job I think he's a really good manager whether it all clicks we'll have to wait and see but yeah. essentially it, they could be the, the, the mo- one of the most exciting sides to watch at this World Cup yes I think I think that's true but it's not often that managers these days really leave a big club job for an international job yeah, I think, well, I think Conte, Conte going to Italy you know, is quite rare yeah, exactly, in recent yeah. times Listeners, do you like shaving and looking smooth and clean? Yes! But do you enjoy having to go to the shops for new razors and other shaving supplies? No! Well, Cornerstone gives you everything you need for a great shave and they'll deliver it all right to your door. Cornerstone's super sharp, award-winning blades are engineered in Germany, which is always a good sign, and their range of balms, creams and exfoliators are all environmentally friendly, alcohol-free and suitable for the most sensitive skin. Get £10 off your first order and check out the range for yourself at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally and find out why tens of thousands of men have switched over to Cornerstone. England's next two opponents, prior to any World Cup time, Holland and Italy. Uh, Italy, we, we actually chat about them in Golazzo uh-huh. uh, yesterday with uh, Gabriele Marcotti and James Horncastle. And there's a little bit of consternation about what Gigi Di Biagio is doing in his, his, his debut set of matches, Argentina on Friday and England on Tuesday. We also discuss the incredible story of the Lazio team that won the Italian title in 73-74, full of 
pretty extraordinary details like this. This Lazio team, for example, you know, when they went into Retiro before the games and they had that shooting range and just the range of weapons they had, M16s, elephant rifles, stuff like this, it's just absolutely bonkers. And the thing is, because it's normal to build a shooting range at the training ground. I mean, I think Mourinho's got one at Carrington. Yeah, and 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 they got visited by the police one day because opposite the shooting range was a, a centre for disabled kids, kids with special needs. They'd found a bullet lodged into the wardrobe of one of these kids' dorm rooms because it had travelled from the range across the street into this into this place. If you like the sound of that, there's loads of it, and it's Golazzo. Seek it out. Any update on the China Cup? 2-0, 20 minutes in, Gareth Bale again. Right. So, yeah, good start for gigs. On the subject of match agents, I read that the, the Welsh FA would have forfeited $100,000 probably if Gareth Bale had not been in the... the well, that that explains the extraordinary lengths he went to to get there. Um, what kind of lengths did well, he I, I, paddle it, across? It, it's the... worth Googling, but I, I, I heard yesterday that he had a very uh, arduous trip to get all that way and uh, did mm. it because he's dedicated Well, it's been to worth team. it because he's put them 2-0 up in the well, China it's not Cup. not something that Ryan Giggs would have done back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I was mentioning Italy and, of course, Holland first, though, the Netherlands for England, not going to be part of this World Cup, as indeed they haven't been present at the last two international tournaments. But despite that, we still want to hear from our friend Mikhail Jongsma from Benefoot.net and Opta Johan on the state of play with all things orange. Mikhail! Good afternoon. Interesting time for Dutch managers. Ronald Koeman uh, beginning his stint in charge of the RNG. And uh, what's he done? Is it? Are you excited about the, the team that he's, he's brought together? I think everyone is because um, he's he's really looked at Dutch players doing well in foreign leagues that haven't really been in the picture so far, uh, with Hans Atebuer of Atalanta Bergamo being a good example, uh, Martin Deron being in the squad again, and he's he's just um, yeah he he has kind of reinvigorated the whole atmosphere around the the team because it's been really quite down over the last couple of years and mm. everybody seems so excited and he's worked with quite a few of the players anyway as a club coach because he has quite some experience and uh, yeah the the atmosphere from from that point of view is really positive and everyone is quite eager to see what team he will put out uh, against England. Right, well, a lot of excitement around uh, Patrick Clivert's son Justin. It is quite funny that uh, I mean, if that if that if, the, if your father is Patrick Patrick Cliver, it's almost impossible not to be compared to him. But uh, luckily for him, Dutch media, um, by a voice of Ronald Tabor, have actually compared him to uh, Neymar as well, which is, I mean, <laughs> he's, I mean, let's he, try and manage expectations there. <laughs> one of his goals is, uh, did did the rounds on social media, and it suggests that those c- comparisons may not be all that far fetched. It is tough to 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 see how far he can go and what he can do. He has a certain swagger about him that is just incredible because um, because he has has always been the son of Patrick Larver. He's always been around like famous football players and managers, and he doesn't seem phased by any media inten- attention. And it was quite telling that uh, for a TV show, somebody said, "Well, yeah, you remind me of Mbappe." Just to throw in another name in the mix, and he was instead of saying, "Well, I just need." a bit more time to actually see if I can reach a level. He's like, yeah, I can see where they're coming from, blah, blah, blah. So he's a really confident young man. And in terms of style, he, he is he's a very good dribbler, has lightning pace, um, seems to be uh, playing with his head up as well, which is a good thing. And although he's probably not 
been as good as people uh, would love to make him out to be. He is a very interesting prospect. Okay. Well, it's a, once again, it's a rebuilding job that Kuman is undertaking here and presumably pretty much starting from scratch. Yeah, and it's a good thing that he can't buy players because that's not been his strength over the last few years. He, he, is, he is tactically quite good, though, and I think he's proven that at uh, Southampton, at Everton as well. He's, he's able to set up a team uh, to basically counter the, uh, uh, the power of the, the team that he's facing. And in that sense, he's, he's looking to play a, a 3-5-2 for, for the next, next couple of games. That is the overall expectation. And that is basically what this um, set of players suits as well, and which is one of the reasons why a player like Hans Hatzebor, uh, who's never been called up before, is quite likely to actually start in this game. And we, of course, have an abundance of centre-backs at the moment that are actually quite good. So um, it will be very interesting to see um, how he will build on that. And I'm, I'm actually, for myself, I'm quite happy to see him finally in charge of the uh, Dutch national team because we've discussed it before, I think. In 2014, he was the one candidate everybody wanted. He was only allowed to take the job if he would take Hiddink as a supervisor. He felt he was too uh, experienced for that. Now he's finally uh, gotten this chance, uh, partly because he didn't do uh, as well as he hoped at Everton, but um, yeah, partly because the Dutch team actually need, needs a manager like him as well. So, Mikel, you think this time Netherlands are going to get it right, yeah? Personally, I would have liked to see uh, see us try something different, maybe uh, get a forward manager in uh, for, for a change. But on the other hand, I think of all the Dutch managers available, he was probably the one that you would want in that role, mainly because he's tactically more flexible than uh, the regular uh, Dutch manager is. Ronald Koeman at least has that pragmatic view where he thinks, well, this is what the players can do. This is what I can do with them. Uh, and from that, I think uh, the football will actually become a bit more attractive and it will be nice to see him actually try to get the best out of the talents that we have rather than uh, feel pressured by having to be uh, as Dutch as possible. Hey, listeners, 12.30 on Friday at facebook.com slash the Totally Football Show. It is the Totally Football Quiz. That's right, powered by Opta with ungoogleable questions and top prizes, some of which you've been enjoying uh, earlier today in the office, uh, Michael, the... Uh, Panini uh, FIFA 365 trading cards. Yes, I was unaware of them, but they, they're a bit like Top Trumps, aren't they? From what Very I much so. so. yeah, they're good. But better. So there it is, uh, facebook.com slash the Totally Football Show. We won't give away your data, but we will give away prizes. That's very much our, <laughs> our motto. Uh, amongst prizes this week is a 2011-12 FC St. Pauli home shirt uh, from classicfootballshirts.co.uk. Very good. People writing in, people writing out. Uh, simply the best says, friendlies are somewhat meaningless. What can be done to make them more relevant? Well, you want a Nations League of some sort, don't you? Uh, <laughs> or you could do... Did you see what the Swiss watch company did this week? No. Did you see this? So they basically, to promote their very, very expensive FIFA tied in with uh, watch... I mean, it's really expensive. It's like a six-figure sum or something, isn't it, Joe? I dread to think. It's a, it's a really... But anyway, they ba- they basically uh, organised this kind of world match. One team was coached by Jose Mourinho, and the other one was by Diego Maradona. Uh, Maradona's team featured Tino Sprilla, Roberto Carlos, Hernan Crespo, Gianni Infantino. Oh, bless. Oh, my God. <laughs> Karen Bale, Matarazzi, Gaisca Mendieta, Angelo Peruzzi and David Trezeguet, Mourinho's team... 
Marcel Desailly, Damien Duff, Robbie Keane, who's always supported them, Tish, uh, Patrick <laughs> Cliver, Richard Orlinski. Who's he? He must be a FIFA suit or something. And Alexis Smertin. And in his first ever football match, Usain Bolt. Mm. Which, you know, must have been a worry when Mourinho told him not to get too far upfield. I can't imagine he was too effective. I clicked on a few photos expecting a, a full-size 11-a-side charity match, but it, the pitch was absolutely tiny. It, it was, was indoors, it, it was wasn't it? was about four aside. There's no way Bolt could have got up to full speed on that. Oh, goal here, James. 3-0 oh. to Wales. Oh, yeah? Very clever little... Outside of the boot flick by Sam Vokes, who uh, always does quite a good job for Wales up there. Oh, right. It's been a lot of back heel goals. There have. You kind of take it for granted how many technically good goals there are these days. Yeah. But you're right. That that goal 20 years ago would have been... Well, it wouldn't have been viral, obviously. That mm. wouldn't well, yeah. make sense. But, <laughs> yeah. but you, get, you get my point. People said, oh, you've got to see this goal. Whereas that, that's a really good goal, and we kind of take it for granted. The Gianfranco Zola one that lives in the memory against Norwich. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that, that, that was the first time that anybody had ever seen what is now... Run of the mill. What strange wizardry is this? Like when they saw the first airplane. Indeed, yeah. Mm. Um, the, Sky, the Sky Sports News the other day, or yesterday, they were doing the vote on the goal of the month. And when Yama's hit from 40 yards or whatever against Liverpool was winning out by 47%. Really? Vardy's, yeah. which was without question Gorgeous. the best goal of the season. And really? The, yeah, I mean, without, without parallel. Um, was 19%. That was ridiculous. But that's the danger of trusting Social on... Social media, exactly. No, no, the danger on popular votes to determine yeah, any kind precisely. of outcome, Matt. Precisely. Yeah. You really love Jamie Vardy, don't you? I, I, well, I think that man, that technique for that goal with his wrong yeah. foot was just But it's also unreal. the pass as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a Beautiful. glorious goal. It's a classic. I'm sure we'll be going back to that one. Uh, other people writing in... Hey, uh, Stanislav Ivanov... Gave us the list of uh, third-generation players in the professional game. We mentioned with Marcus Alonso. Yeah, yeah. It was Marcus Alonso, wasn't it? That's yes. what sparked all this. So I've got the full list here. Why are there not more? Why are there well, not, not three more generations privates? reaching professional level of a sport? That's quite impressive. Yeah, but why not? I was thinking when we were talking to me, why, why are there so few Patrick Cliverts, Justin Cliverts? I mean, you know. Well, actually, there's probably quite a few Justin Cliverts, but. I mean the way Patrick lived. His I mean life. as exempl- <laughs> I mean as exemplars of uh, of of the sons of professional footballers. I don't know because you'd have thought. Why that, does the apple you know, fall so very far from well, the tree? Indeed, yeah, if yeah. It is, yeah. Is it, what it, is it? I think it takes a remarkable set of, of, of circumstances for somebody to reach not just be technically gifted, but to become a professional footballer. Mm. Uh, I, think I assumed Maldini's sons would would by now be prancing. Well, surely around Aguero's son will. Yeah, you'd think of all the people. His granddaddy. His Maradona, his, his father is Sergio Diego, Aguero. Yeah. Doesn't get better Did you than see that. A, a month or so ago, there was a, a picture of Diego Maradona in his house and someone or other had zoomed in on the background and noticed that he had seemingly blacked out Sergio Aguero's face yeah. on a family photo. Right. Every photo. On every photo. No which, Aguero. Which is well, wonderful. Mm, well, but just to, to, yes. to develop the point, in horse flesh, you know, yes. the, 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 <laughs> the, uh, if, if, a, if, a, if a mare and a, and a stallion have won races and then sired a yeah. uh, thing, it could be worth millions. But I think that there's, there's more career choices, there's more life decisions, there's more, <laughs> there's more turning points in a, in a life before you get to the level of, what, 18 or whatever, and, and that, that can... Yeah, there's one a vanishingly a small life. number of, of top footballers have well, professional okay. football. The ones kids. that have done three generations. Yes, yeah, so we're going to go so back to... So you've got Marcus Alonso, Chicharito, who I think we mentioned on Monday. Forlan, 
who's still playing in Hong Kong, by the way, for Kitschy SC. All right. Is he really? Apparently so. Vladimir Weiss of Slovakia. Yeah, and also the good thing about him, yeah. both his dad and granddad are also called Vladimir. Inherent Weiss. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Uh, shame no one stayed listening for that bit. Right? <laughs> <laughs> They've all gone hours ago. Andre Shembri, the Maltese legend. I'm not, familiar I'm not with sure him. that counts. Does it not count? No. Liam Feeney. You familiar with Liam Feeney? Apparently uh, he's at Cardiff. Okay, sorry about that, Liam. Hazem Iman of Egypt, who's at Zamalek. And apparently has, uh, you know, others. His antecedents uh, all uh, trod a similar path. That's brilliant knowledge, by the way. How have you found that list? I don't know. Well done, Stanislav Ivanov. Your knowledge is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Jake French has got an interesting question, which I'm not sure if now is the right time to address, but I'll throw it out there anyway, because we can always come back to it on Monday, when, listeners, to be frank... We would be delighted to discuss any theme you wish to contribute on account of it being bang in the middle of an international week pod. No, but I mean, to be fair, we'll, we'll, we'll no doubt react to anything that might have happened over the weekend. But it's the perfect opportunity to explore any themes that you think A, will be interesting and B, don't get a look in elsewhere. Jake French, anyway, says on the Saints versus Wigan FA Cup game, the commentary team said uh, Mark Hughes looked like he wanted to get his boots on and play. Which Premier League managers, asked Jake, would be best as an impact sub? <laughs> I have to think Hughes himself. Who? Mark Hughes? Yeah, Hughes. yeah? I can't Anyone think. Anyone beat Hughes? I'm sure Pochettino okay. could Eddie Howe. do a sitting job. Yeah, Eddie Howe is still young enough. Paul, yeah. Paul Lambert was a good player in his day. Maybe wouldn't have the legs these days. Maybe not these days. It's funny, it's funny, at the moment, it Chris Hutton certainly looks like he would. It, it does seem like there's been a bit of a shift back towards managers being former players, if that mm. makes sense. A few years ago, when there was the Mourinho craze, if you like. Villas Boas, all that. Villas Boas, it felt like there, there were kind of more. Uh, how to put Technocrats. it? Yeah, academic yeah. types. But you look around Europe, you know, with Simeone success, with Zidane's yeah. success, Guardiola obviously was a fantastic Gattuso player. Is a... Even someone like Gattuso, yeah. yeah. You've got someone like Sarri, I guess. But uh, it's funny how it is still dominated, really, by by former players. Well, well I guess sure, it makes surely, sense. surely Pep would do a job as an impact. Oh, yeah, but the, the one who's going to do the best for his team, mm. without question, who could slot in from the start, is Sean Dyche. <laughs> There's absolutely no question that Sean Dykes would, <laughs> would have any difficulty. In of course, that, the that, league that where four. this would be absolutely brilliant to watch, and they really should, because I know that they're very keen to introduce any kind of innovation that would sit well marketing-wise, would be the ISL in, in, in India, where if you look at the list of, of managers, I just happen, by coincidence, to have one to hang, because you're going to India like next, aren't you, globe-trotting chat line? I am. But not for football reasons. No, for holiday reasons. Oh, OK. Well, that would be splendid. Well, the, the man has just won the title there is John Gregory, who y- you might want to leave on the bench. Well, he took over from... Uh, where is he managing? Chennaiyan. Yeah, so he took over from Marco Matarazzi. Other managers in the ISL include Steve Koppel, David James, mm-hmm. who has been enjoying a troubled relationship with some of his players, no? Really? Goalkeepers was... never... Make... Apart from Dino Zoff, can you name a deep... well, Mike Walker, maybe? Uh, funnily enough, uh, well, it's not that funny. It's just in response to what you said. But Spain's manager, Lopetegui, was a goalkeeper. Oh, right. Oh, was he? Yeah. Oh, Walter Zenger, of course, who's who's had about a billion jobs. None of them for particularly long, but is currently playing his trade down at Crotone and um, L- having Lope- not lasted very long in... Uh... <laughs> I mean, they don't make great, great managers on the whole. If you think how many goalkeepers yeah. there have been and how many, how few 
successful managers. Mm. Robbie Keane's been... also, by the way, I didn't get to him, but he's also in the ISL, as is Avram Grant. What, managing? Robbie Keane's a manager. Mm. Player, manager. Player manager, captain as well. Lopetegui is also a good uh, quiz answer because he played for Barcelona and Real Madrid. Um, uh, what would the question be then? Well, like, uh, yeah, who's represented uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid over the last 20 years? You have got a few, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Ronaldo, Figo, Figo Luis Ronaldo. Enrique, yeah. Javier Saviola. But oh. I think Lopetegui would probably be the pointless answer. Neymar? Oh, they, not yet. <laughs> yeah. Did you know this Premier League, talking of Barcelona players, this Premier League season started with five former Barcelona players in managerial jobs? Really? Uh, yeah. And uh, how many are left now? They're, 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 well, I don't want to give it away. So, so okay. they're, they're, not all of them. Well, Ronald Koeman. Mm-hmm. Mark Hughes. Mm-hmm. Guardiola. Mm-hmm. Pellegrino. Down at Southampton. And the other one is, of course, Frank de Boer. Frank de Boer. Oh. Frank de Boer. Well done. People got. I put that out on Twitter, and a lot of people got stuck over Mark Hughes. Actually, did they? Mm. It took a. It took a fair while, even mm. with the benefit of Google, um, for people to get that right. All right. Well, I tell you what, listeners, if you enjoy that kind of thing, and crucially, you're still listening, let me just remind you that twelve thirty <laughs> on our Facebook page, you can get. Uh, this is on Friday. I'm talking about. You can get our Friday football, totally football quiz with loads of great prizes, and even if you don't win something you find out some great questions to use on your chums like that one. So do join whoever's in the hot sofa for that uh, on Friday lunchtime. Uh, for now, though, that's all your football, so let's get the odds, as is traditional, with Paddy Power and producer Ben. Thank you, James. And uh, Moshi Moshi, Lee Price, you're in Japan. How are you? I'm good. I'm very jet-lagged, but um, I'm bearing with it. Yeah, what's, uh, what are you doing in Japan? I've come here for a cultural tour of football, believe it or not. Uh, a few Paddy Power things going on, so I get to visit Japan, which is a great perk. All right. Well, uh, you're having an international week, and so's football. Um, <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> thank you very much. There's no Harry Kane in these England squads uh, against Holland and Italy, but England do have Danny Welbeck, and he's uh, he's one of a number of, uh, shall we say, divey players in the squad. I'd, I'd put Vardy, Deli Ali, and Ashley Young in there. What are the odds on one of them winning a penalty in Amsterdam? Yeah, we have a, a lot of continental learnings, haven't we, that we've applied to our squad. And as Arsene Wenger says, we're now the experts of diving, which is good. Uh, we're on a level playing field for once. To win a penalty in Amsterdam, uh, one of those players you mentioned, we go 5-1 to one, uh, and almost certainly be a dive if Danny Balbeck's involved. Sorry, Danny. So if England do uh, come through these two friendlies, they're going to come home with the World Cup, certainly. But I'm going to give you two scenarios here. What are the odds, please, on, on Joe Hart's starting that first game versus Tunisia or, because of politics, uh, the FA not sending a team at all? Interesting. Joe Hart had a very good weekend, uh, despite not being in action. Um, his rivals faltered slightly, although I, I blame the snow personally. Uh, with that in mind, we go odds on that he starts England's first game. That's four to five, which seems incredible given his, his drop-off of form and West Ham's performances, but he is odds on to start for England. As for England not going to Russia... We can't quite see that, but the odds have been crashed in. They're down to 10 to 1. That's still a long shot, in my opinion. Uh, what about Germany retaining the World Cup out there? That seems uh, that seems fairly nailed on. Yeah, they're our favourites. They're 9 to 2, which is a really short price uh, this far out from a tournament. Brazil, the only ones that come really close to them, odds-wise, we've got 5 to 1. Uh, you mentioned England being red hot earlier. They're 16 to 1 to win the World Cup this summer, although I'd suggest your money's best bet anywhere else. 
And although you're in Japan and jet-lagged at the moment, you may recall that uh, Mo Salah had a quite sensational Saturday, putting four past Watford and getting an assist. He wasn't the only person to score four uh, in Europe's big leads, of course. But um, what about Salah being top scorer in Russia for Egypt? They've got a fairly easy group. Yeah, this is a really interesting one. This, this could be value because, as you said, you only need a few group stage goals to put you up there. He's a 40-to-1 shot. Um, so obviously he relies on Egypt progressing through the group and maybe another round. But if he gets a few early hat-tricks, you're laughing. Uh, you hinted at Ronaldo there. He's 12-1, to up there with the favourites. Neymar leads the way, though, at 7-1. to Lee Price, Konnichiwa. Konnichiwa. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only, though, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. So, Jack Lang, best of luck in India. Thank you. Michael, enjoy whatever it is you're off to do next. Thanks. Good. Mysterious. And, and Matt, I know you're going to be available to viewers worldwide discussing why teams in the Midlands and Yorkshire are suddenly having such a harsh time of it, <clears throat> in which you will probably bring out the extraordinary stat, which you mentioned to me on the phone yesterday, which, which is that when Wolves last won the title, when was that? Uh, in the early 60s. They in the early 60s. In four years. GDP. Well, household income. Household income in their area was higher than it was in London. That's right, 13% higher, yeah. Wow. And, and uh, in a masterful stroke of central planning, it was completely destroyed by uh, the Labour government. They deliberately tore down the... The uh, anti-Wolves the agenda. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Midlands are now reaping that whirlwind. Well, a little bit of politics. Uh, Matt, fantastic. Look forward to uh, seeing you discuss that. Mm. What's that on Premier League today? Yeah. Yeah. It will be uh, in a, yeah, a couple of weeks on Tuesday morning to our 700 million viewers. Brilliant. Yeah. Is that what, how many people watch that? Well, they watch the channel, yeah. Okay. You should cool. know that. I don't know. It tells me anything. Uh, <laughs> good. Anyway, splendid. Lovely to see you all back on Monday. Let us know what you want us to talk about and have a great weekend. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. My name is Matt Davis. You know, the guy from Chelsea TV who supports Nottingham Forest and does the commentary of the Argentinian Premier League for Nigerian TV. And if, like me, you're the kind of listener who smiles knowingly every time Jimbo says, it's gotta be Kane, or calls the new Roma prodigy Sengis under The Undertaker, then here's some news to brighten up your road to WrestleMania. I've hurled the jabroni who used to host the Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast through the barbershop window so that we can begin a new era. New guests, new music, new gimmick, new spandex. Parts Unknown begins on the first week of April with our WrestleMania preview show. And once we're done reviewing it seven days later, we'll begin breaking down all the previous manias from 33 to 1 in our WrestleMania Rewind. Oh, yeah! See, it's not just Serie A that deserves a nostalgia show. Mm. That's the Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast with me, Matt Davis. Subscribe now on Acast, iTunes, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. Mm.